Good morning. Uh, along with Michael, one of our elders, I welcome you to worship this morning. I'm so thankful that Michael is serving this morning with his daughter, Hadley, who is on the uh, organ blessing us so very much. Um, as you've heard from pastors Brett and Shane, we've started a new summer uh, sermon series entitled Missio Nexus, where life and mission connect. As a church, we want to be connected to God's mission where it is happening. While we all have neighbors to love next door, um, praise God for the proximity to our neighbors, we are also specifically praying how we may love our Rivermont neighbors, the Rivermont neighborhood, an area within about a one-mile radius of the church. We long to be a covenant family providentially placed in Rivermont for Rivermont. Today I'm going to ask you now to please open your Bibles or one of the pew Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. We'll, we'll be considering connecting mercifully with our neighbors, with our passages passage this morning. And as we walk through our passage, I want you to please consider the ways that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ compels us to love our neighbors around us. Hear now the reading of God's word. This is Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25 through verse 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let us pray. Our Father, as we come before you with our burdens and our joys, we pray that for a moment you would unburden our hearts to focus upon the things of great importance that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. O oh, come, Holy Spirit, make known to us the meaning of these great words. Write them upon our hearts. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. When I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, I would often join a group of friends and head to Crowder's Mountain State Park to hike, climb, and improve my skill in repelling off 60 and 100-foot cliffs. 
One Sunday afternoon, we heard a cry. A teenage girl hiking with her parents had fallen from the top of one of the cliffs. Thankfully, she landed on a ledge about 30 feet from the top. A few feet in either direction, she would have missed the ledge and would have likely fallen to her death. My friends with more skill than me made their way to her, and I ran to call 911 and to wait to guide a rescue team. As darkness set in that night, it became clear that the teenagers would make it to the, the teenager would make it to the hospital. The rescue team shook our hands and thanked us for being, and these were their words, good Samaritans. Now the story of the good Samaritan is one of the most well-known parables of Jesus. There are hospitals named after him and his name has become an idiom for unusual kindness and extraordinary care for the hurting. We also have Good Samaritan laws that protect from liability those who choose to aid others and who are injured or ill. To call someone a Good Samaritan is to pay them a great compliment. Now this morning I want to take a look at the key questions of the story that are here and close by bringing God's grace and God's compassion together. It's such a familiar passage that sometimes we may skim it and miss some of the depth of what we are being told. But coming to the first question, in verse 25 we read, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, this is Jesus, to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now this is the most important question that a person could ever ask. Our eternal destiny is crucial. And yet this law expert was adept and adept at understanding the Old Testament and he wanted to put Jesus to the test. He hoped he would trip Jesus up uh, so that the people would stop following him. This sophisticated scripture scholar was in effect on a heresy hunt and he was attempting to discredit our Lord and our Savior. But do you see the contradiction in his question? He's wondering what he must do in order to inherit eternal life. And we know that an inheritance is not something that we work for. It's a gift. This man thought of eternal life as something purchased by his own good works rather than freely given by God's grace. And this is a matter of fundamental importance. For eternal life isn't a matter of what we must do for God, but rather what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So Jesus turned the question back on the Old Testament scholar and asked, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus took him to the authority of the Bible, which is something we all should do. And the man answers correctly by quoting Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And you are to love your neighbor as yourself. In a nutshell, love God, love others. And in verse 28, Jesus affirms him for giving the right answer. But at the same time, Jesus flips the tables by adding, adding these unsettling words. Do this and you will live. To add this phrase, do this, means that we must love God and love others perfectly to be able to live. 
Now, Jesus is not advocating a works-based theology to earn our salvation. Rather, Jesus is saying that if you want to use a law as a leverage to get into heaven, then you better follow everything written in it perfectly. You do this, in terms of the Greek construction here, by always loving God every second, every hour, every day with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind from this day forward forevermore, from the day you're born until the day you die. And by the way, you also need to love your neighbor as yourself perfectly without any sin whatsoever or else you will have fallen short. That's the holy standard that God's Word sets. If you want to get in to heaven by the law, then be perfect. One slip, you're out. The legal expert is condemned by the very law he quoted. And Jesus is using one purpose of the law here to show us that we can't keep the law perfectly. And it is to allow the law to drive us to a Savior. Romans 3. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. James 2, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. And then in Galatians 3, and the aim of the law is to do what? To lead us to Christ. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. You know, when any of us are convicted by the impossibility of God's high standard of His law, we can go one of two ways. The wrong way To go is to try to bring down the standard of the law to a level that you think you can keep so that you can justify yourself by your own good works. The lawyer took this route. The right way is to let the law drive you to Jesus. For He bore the curse of our sin on the cross. He alone perfectly loved God and loved His neighbor. We need His righteousness as our covering or we cannot stand before a holy God. God grants us that righteousness as a gracious gift to us through Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus' response makes the expert in the law very nervous. I think he may have regretted that he ever asked the question. The man should have said something like, I admit my inability, I can't keep the law perfectly, what should I do? Sadly, he moves beyond the first question, what shall I do to an Herod, eternal life, to a second question that comes in verse 29, which is this, moving to point two. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus doesn't directly answer the question, but instead tells a simple story, this parable. On the surface, this popular parable appears to be a simple story about being kind and This would unveil another purpose of the law as our golden rule for life for those who are born again by the Spirit. We are to love God. We are to love others. There is a sincere call here to compassion and mercy as the story unfolds. But let me consider the parable as it is. Beyond the robbers, there are four distinct characters in the story that Jesus tells. There's the man traveling the road to Jericho, the victim of a vicious assault by robbers. The other three characters were traveling separately, probably the opposite way to Jerusalem. There was a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. 
The priest and the Levite ignore the plight of the victim, but the Samaritan had compassion on him and did his utmost to provide help and comfort in a very dangerous circumstance. Jesus does not give an explanation of the story to the lawyer. Rather, Jesus asks, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to a man who fell among the robbers? And of course, he gives answer to it. The one who showed him mercy, he could not even bring himself to say the word Samaritan because at that point in the life of Israel, the Jews and the Samaritans really didn't get along. But now let me make two observations about the parable in connecting mercifully with our neighbors. First, the compassion of the good Samaritan went above and beyond normal human expectations that we would Embrace in the flesh. Even so, though, his compassion led him to action. You know, today, if we see a beaten man lying by the road, we would first call 911 and do what we could do until help would arrive. This is what I did on that Sunday afternoon on Crowder's Mountain in North Carolina. I called 911, asked for help. Then I guided the rescue team to the cliffside. The experts did the rest. Yet for the Good Samaritan, there were no EMTs on the treacherous road winding through the mountains from Jerusalem down to Jericho. If this man were to survive, the Samaritan would have to take the whole burden on himself. Either he got involved or the man died. There were no other options. Seen in that light, many of us would hesitate. After all, we've got things to do, places to go, people to see. When we think of showing compassion, I know very few people who aren't busy these days. The demands of life lie heavily on all of us. And yet, the Samaritan got involved when the priest and the Levite had passed by on the other side. You know, I tend to overthink many things and I like to be prepared for every contingency. I'm comfortable with, with calling 911 and waiting, but I get nervous if things are beyond my ability. Yet connecting mercifully with our neighbor is not a matter of busyness, nor honestly, it's not a matter of preparation. The priest had no idea that morning about the man by the side of the road. Neither did the Levite. Neither did the Samaritan. All we know is that the Samaritan's compassion moved him to action. He connected mercifully to his neighbor. The Samaritan saw this particular man robbed, beaten, and left for dead. And he decided to reach out in care. We need not ask what we would have done if he had seen ten men lying on the road. Now, this is what Ron Cox does. What happens if there's a hundred out in the neighborhood to minister to? But that's not the presentation. We need not ask what I must do to be prepared to offer the love of Christ. The Good Samaritan cared enough to help the man he actually did see, and that is what matters. Second observation. The Good Samaritan could not have known what was he was about to face when he started on the road earlier that day. When he saw this man by the road, he evidently didn't stop to do a mental calculation and say, you know what, I'm going to have to end up paying for this man's hotel bill. 
That would have come somewhere down the road as God directed his steps. But as a practical matter, he could not have shown or known what would be required. The only decision he had to make was, should I get involved or should I pass on the other side of the road? And he chose to live out the mercy of God and reach out and help for us. We really know what merciful compassion will demand of us. Which is why we ought not to be overly calculating before we get involved. Whether in response to God's love to us, we need to be present and ready. Thinking of the golden purpose of the law of directing us in godly life, we know from Ephesians 2, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Sometimes... The help we give will be brief and easy to do. On Crowder's Mountain in North Carolina on that Sunday afternoon, I was out of my breath running down that mountain. But it only took a few hours of my life and we were done. Sometimes we will discover that the demands are long-lasting and heavy to bear. Most of the time, when the demands are long-lasting, we cannot do it all alone. Even in this story, the Samaritan didn't stick around and try to nurse the man back to help himself. He left him in care of an innkeeper and then went on his way. No one, dear family of God, is asking you to do it all. Yet as a good neighbor, we can all do something as part of the collective body of Jesus Christ. Over the years of ministry, there are times when I have desperately needed to seek the guidance of prayer warriors, doctors, social workers, plumbers, teachers, painters, mechanics, caring brothers and sisters. We need those who will visit and pray, staying connected with Jesus along the way. And reaching out collectively together gives strength and balance. Every one of us can do something. So beyond the questions of the lawyer, what shall I do to to inherit eternal life, and who is my neighbor? We now come to the end of the story, and Jesus ends with a question and then this command. Which of these three proved to be the true neighbor to the man in need? Okay, grammar school students should get this one. Pretty obvious. But you go and do likewise. The the lawyer really chokes on his words here. He cannot find himself again, I've said this, to even pronounce the word Samaritan. And so he answers, though correctly, the one who showed mercy toward him. Twice now, Jesus has been asked a question by the lawyer. Twice, Jesus asked the lawyer a question in response. And twice, Jesus then responded to the lawyer's answer by telling him to do that which he had just said. Now, in one sense, I hope you see that Jesus is talking to a man who believes and teaches that a person is saved by his works, by his law keeping. If law keeping is a way to eternal life, no wonder this man is a lawyer. But yet in connecting mercifully with our neighbors, it's reminding us that we need to weave into our compassionate action the beauty of the gospel for the sake of of eternity because what is at stake is how do I inherit eternal life? And yet thinking of the golden purpose of the law to lead us into godly 
living, the convicting question moves beyond who is my neighbor to whose neighbor will I be today? The story is not about the man in need. It's about two men who had a chance to help and didn't, and the one man who didn't uh, did what he could, could do, even though he could have walked away. It means that we need to be present and available to show Christ's love. Compassion is not something you talk about. Compassion is something you do. If we want our neighborhood to be changed, we get involved. We open the eyes of our hearts to see the demands and needs around us and then we move into the lives of others. We follow the call of Jesus. You go and do likewise. We all need to pray practically, pretty aggressively. History tells us that every revival has been preceded by fervent, united prayer among believers. So please, in a day where there is spiritual and moral decay in our culture uh, that has been brought to the point of desperation and now our desperation has become our greatest ally. Why? Because it will force us to our knees to pray for our neighbors, to pray for our families, to stand in the gap for others to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Practically, though, we also need to be intentionally personal and relationally. In this post-COVID world, we have heard again and again that people are craving authentic relationship. We have relationship with Christ. We have relationship with one another, dear brothers and sisters. And we have this relationship that we can bring to those around us. We can offer authentic relationship. And I'll tell you one other uh, matter of pragmatism here. We need to begin this week. There are people in your life today and neighbors who live close by who need the love that you can give. Some need a word of encouragement, so give them that word. Some are staggering beneath a heavy load and you can lift that burden from their shoulders. Some are about to quit and you can cheer them forward in the race. Some have been hit with an incredible string of trials and you can help them keep going. God, help us to be men and women of compassion to reach out and touch a hurting world in Jesus' name. And yet I want to close with a simple word about grace and compassion. For there is this contrast in the parable of the Good Samaritan and the other religious leaders. Unlike the priest and the Levite, the Samaritan was moved with compassion. He becomes the example of connecting mercifully with our neighbors. So in grace and compassion, there seems to be two broad messages to two different audiences. For those who do not trust Christ for salvation as the Old Testament lawyer, Jesus is telling you that your law keeping is not sufficient to earn you eternal life because no one is able to love God and love others perfectly. You need a Savior. Jesus alone fulfilled the law perfectly by loving God and loving others without sin. He took our sins upon Himself on the cross, bearing the curse of death, which the law pronounced upon us. He rose from the grave for our salvation. He calls you to trust Him for abundant life and eternal life. Yet the second audience are for those who trust Jesus. Praise God that you know that Salvation comes through grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. 
His grace and power will develop compassion as we grow in the image of Jesus who had ultimate compassion for His people. Unlike legalism, which fosters self-righteousness and a judgmental spirit, the grace of Jesus develops merciful compassion as Jesus melts our hearts with His love. His grace becomes the basis for compassion to your family. Connecting mercifully with our neighbors will include gospel truth in the context of genuine friendship. Connecting mercifully with our neighbors will involve our authentic relationship and help when needed. And just as this despised and rejected Samaritan became the savior of the robbery victim on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, so the despised and rejected Jesus of Nazareth has become the savior of all of us who trust in him. May our perfect good and perfect Samaritan, good Samaritan, the Lord Jesus Christ, Give us His grace and compassion and by the Spirit of the living God, connect us mercifully with our neighbors to the glory of His name. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect Good Samaritan who found us beyond hope, saved us, and poured out His love at the cost of most extravagant grace. As we hear the gospel and receive again the grace of the Good Samaritan, please help us to be Good Samaritans ourselves. Give us opportunity to love our neighbors as we embrace the grace and compassion of Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.